You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I came half awake, dead and dreaming. My eyes were open, but I couldn't focus on anything because I was still falling, as if the nightmare had followed me from sleep into the waking world. I didn't know where I was or where I'd come from, but the bed under me was turning and falling, and I, I was sure, had perished. This sensation was so real, so palpable, that I closed my eyes and moaned. The movement of the bed then took on a temporal quality. Instead of falling, I had become unmoored in time, traveling backward and then forward through a life that was mine and yet, at the same time, foreign to me. I watched my mother dying in the bedroom of our shanty house in New Iberia, Louisiana. She was laid up in a feather bed, a big woman who was trying to catch her breath but couldn't inhale right. It sounded like she was drowning. She was so pretty, I thought. I had once loved her but could no longer raise this feeling in my heart. I might have even smiled as she shuddered under the labor of simple breathing. Walter Mosley is the author of the Easy Rollins Mysteries, From Devil in a Blue Dress to Blonde Faith. He's won an O. Henry Award, a Grammy, and a Pan American Lifetime Achievement Award. He's written science fiction, including the Crosstown to Oblivion novellas. His new Easy Rollins Mystery is Little Green. Thank you for joining me, Walter. Thank you. This is a wonderful book, and one of the things that struck me as I started this book, it's set in L.A. in 1967, was that Easy Rollins, he's been around for a while. He first showed up, it was 1948. Yeah, Easy uh, was born in 1920, so, so he's 47 in this book. And the world has changed much since he first appeared on the fictional scene in his world. And I think that's an interesting transition for you to make as a reader and as a writer and an author for the character. Yeah, the world world has changed, but like it's like a a changing of of ingredients. Like before, there was more water than sugar. Now there's more sugar than water. Yeah, but it's still the same stuff. But there's there are different proportions. As you uh, set out to to write this novel, it's the follow-up to Blonde Faith, you have used what has become now, with your usage of it, a, a new trope in the mystery world. You Reichenbacht Mr. Rollins back into life. I'd like you to talk about making that decision as a writer for the first place, to send him over the falls and then to bring him back. Well, you know, I th- when I was writing Blonde Faith, I was, I was kept thinking to myself, so where can easily go from here? And I was feeling... I was feeling like it it was going to get boring. It was going to be I was going to be overused. I, I was saying the other day I said, you know, the first 20 May Gray novels by Seminole were great. The second 60 there was a lot of repetition in them. And that's how I I was feeling about the book, but I hadn't decided not to be writing it. But then when I came to the end of the book, Easy drove off the side of a cliff. I hadn't really meant to write that, but that's what happened. He was very upset. He was very bothered. He was drunk for the first time in a very long time. He was driving barefoot. He lost his woman, couldn't get her back. And he, he passed the car, and then a truck was coming, and he went a little further, and he went over the you know cliff at the Pacific Coast Highway. And I went, wow, that's weird. I guess I want to stop writing Easy. So I, 
instead of going back and changing it, that he almost went all over and you know learned something. I I, I let him go over, and and I was comfortable with that because I didn't feel the Elon writing him. And then you know seven years went by, and I said, you know, I think I can I think I can get back there again. Talk about the decision to get back there again, and where he was and where you were as a writer when you did so. The writing world has changed. Our world has changed plenty in seven years, and so has Easy's. And I, I'm wondering how much of the changes in your world as a writer were folded into the change of that Easy's gone through as he wakes up and what he sees. You know, that's such an interesting question. And, you know, I mean, I could interpret it a lot of different ways, but what, what exactly are you getting at? Well, <laughs> I'm curious... As a writer, and you've seen a lot of change in this world in seven years, and you've also— In the, in the writing world or the world in general? Both. Yeah. And, and I'd like you to talk about come, bringing them back. I mean, this is a series. It's a, it's, on one hand, you've got a steady seller, a character you're familiar with and like, and you decided—it's like you kind of decided to fall in love again. Well, you know— no, that's true. I mean, I, I writing this book, and I just finished the next Easy Rollins novel. I've, I've had a great deal of fun writing them. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I feel that Easy is in a new uh, era. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm talking about 1967 in the way that I remember it, rather than the way he might have experienced it, and uh, and that, and that's been very important to me. I believe, you know, I believe that art is mainly an unconscious activity, and that the the people who want to become artists and fail at it, fail because they fail to understand that art is mostly unconscious. It's not, you know, conscious. It's not like uh, a War and Peace was written word for word the way it appears in, in printed form. You know, it's that it takes a long time, a lot of mistakes, a lot of rewriting, a lot of things just coming up out of nowhere. And so, you know, yes, the world I exist in, I'm, I feel like, you know, a mostly clear plate of glass, a prism almost that the light of experience is shining through. I don't think about it all that much. I just start writing. And, and, and believe me, I'm not trying to say that you know, some higher power is writing through me. I'm just trying to say I experience the world and the writing comes out of me. There's a direct correlation, but I don't know what it is. One of the things that we find as uh, this book opens, you know, the opening sequence reminded me so much of the science fiction that you wrote. It has that really f a beautiful kind of uh, hallucinatory prose, and I'm wondering how much this, this was informed by that uh, experience going back and digging back into your science fiction ace paperback roots. You know, I don't think it it is influenced by science fiction, though I, I think I, I know how you mean it. This is what I think. I've written, this is my 43rd book, I think. Most of the books I write of fiction are books about redemption, either of the main character or somebody the main character is dealing with. They're trying to redeem themselves from, from sins, things they've done wrong, things that they've avoided, things they've overlooked. This is the first and probably the only novel of mine that is a book of resurrection, of a man who is at literally died and you know in his heart he's died and now he's trying to come back to life and the whole book 
is 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 a, a song about coming back to life. There's a mystery, of course. There's somebody missing. He has to find them. There's the hippies. There's the coast. There's the police. There's being black in America, which changes every year. There's being white in America, which changes every year. But at the base of it, it's a book about resurrection. You know, that's so interesting because one of the things we see as the experience of reading this book is to get to see easy as readers we get to see easy and we ourselves uh, see him rebuild his family and as a detective easy rollins is such a great character because you turn invert so many of the our expectations of the detective not the alcoholic loner who alienates everybody and spends his time contemplating the black pit of hell within his heart <laughs> he is a man who's out there talking with his friends and neighbors and getting together with the neighborhood and this his adoptive family and his extended family. Yeah, and the and the black pit of hell uh, is is a guy that <clears throat> that he loves. It's uh, Raymond Alexander Mouse, and so you know there even even there even when when it appears it's something that that you know exhilarates him. It do, it doesn't make him feel bad or lonely. Yeah, the 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 the, the wonderful novelists, you know, Hammett, Chandler, Ross MacDonald, the the um Kane, the, the the those writers were writing crime stories about existentialist heroes. And in order to have an existentialist hero in the 40s and 50s into the 60s, a person had to have no mother, no father, no sister, no brother, no house, uh, a used car every few months, moves out of apartment, no pets. Uh, and so with no family and no deep connections to the world, this person is allowed to make choices which the existentialist hero has to make. Well, I'll, I'll just sit in jail for six months if, if you want. I'm never going to turn in this guy or I'm never going to do that. What makes it uh, more challenging I think in the modern world and in the in the world that I'm writing in, is to have a guy who does need to get home because you know at, ver at the very least he has to water his plants. But there's there's his daughter, there's the daughter's dog who hates him. There's 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 a there's a life that that he's answerable to on top of the story that's appearing inside the book. That I believe, and I think other writers nowadays believe that includes the reader in an even stronger way because you can read, you know, about Philip Marlowe and say, well, you know, I could never be him because, you know, I have responsibilities. You know, read Easy Rollins and say, well, he has responsibilities too and he still has to make choices. As we uh, watch the action in this book uh, unfold, and one of the things I like is this book has a zippy pace. It's really fun. It's a fast read. It's It's really involving. I'd like you to talk about Pacing a novel of resurrection. You know, this is an, it's an interesting thing. I mean, what I said, a lot of what I say is true. I think that um, art is not a conscious decision as much as we want to think it is. Um, one thing that writing is is music, and so there's a beat that starts in your head when you're writing the book. It comes out, especially in a book like this, in the first-person narrative, where uh, he's he's has to, he has to survive, and he can't sit around. His daughter says, "Daddy, why don't you come home and rest?" And he says, "If I lay down, I'm going to die. When you get sick, you have to lay down and rest. When I get sick, 
you know, I have to get up and start moving around or I'm going to die. And I think that that's, um, that's what happened in this book. He comes awake and he, he realizes either he's, now he's going to either live or he's going to die. And so he has to start taking actions and he has to start taking them quickly. And that's, you know, even though I've never even really myself thought about the pacing of the book, I can see what you mean. This is, this, there's a certain urgency going on with Easy because he might die any minute. You get us off to a quick start when Mouse brings him his first post-Reichenbach case. Yes. Talk about designing a crime set fit for L.A. in 1967. Well, you know, I was, I've always wanted – I remember, you know, in 1967, I was, you know, what – how was I? Uh, 15, 16 years old. I would go up to the Sunset Strip, you know, and, and it was wonderful at that time. 10, 20,000 long-haired, barefoot hippies walking up and down the street. It was so crowded. You know, you were just kind of jostled from place to place. It's one of those kind of situations that if you died, you might still, you know, walk a couple of blocks because people would carry you with their shoulders. It's it, it was a kind of a wonderful experience, and I, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the the relationship between uh, music, you know, uh, blues that turns into rock and roll, and the the hippies that all of a sudden are experiencing what black people have always experienced, but most of the hippies being white have a much more um, optimistic, optimistic feel. This is, well, we can change the world. And, 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 and so I'm, I, that's the world I want to get easy involved in. Uh, and so the object of his case, Evander Little Green Noon, is involved with these hippies, and Easy has to try to save him. One of the things that this book does very well is examine the very prickly state of race relations and the how blacks and whites got along. You talk, alluded to how hippies got along. And one of the things I love about this book is that for how many, all the black and white cultures, the relationships are anything but black and white. Yeah, right. That, that's the whole thing. That, I mean, it's always true. I, I love it when people talk about Israel, you know, in America, which, you know, most people in America talking about Israel don't really know. Like, they, 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 you know, there's a feeling, well, the Israelis, the Jewish Israelis ha- hate the you know, Islamic Palestinians, you know. And, you know, for every 10 of the, on each side, there's one who really, truly hates the other. And the other, you know, there's about four or five who don't really care. And then there are people who get along, you know. So, well, i got a Palestinian doctor. Well, I have, a, you, know, a, you know, a Jewish gardener. You know, I mean, the, you know, people have, you know, they, they deal with each other and work with each other. And, and America then, too, there are people who are, are prejudiced, are racist. There are people who are simply prejudiced. There are people who believe in a world that doesn't actually exist. They say, well, the reason people make it or don't make it is based upon their, their individuality. Uh, either they've worked hard or they haven't worked hard, and, and we, we're all on an equal playing field. There's all these different kinds of ways of seeing things and knowing things. Easy's pretty aware of all of that, and he's able to, to, to navigate pretty clearly. But, you know, but, you'll, but it's never all one or the other. At, at one point in America it was, but not in 1967. As a writer, when you're crafting this prose, which I think is really interesting. Your prose, mystery prose, is, I think, very different from anybody else's. It, To my mind, it bears a, more of a resemblance, as I mentioned earlier, to the kind of more uh, hallucinatory prose and, and of... Uh, well, certainly this book does. Yeah. Uh, of 
you know, maybe some of the Philip K. Dick novels or something. And well, That's I, a compliment. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, talk about using this kind of prose to explore these kind of hard-boiled themes, because there's a lot of hard-boiled characters. There's, there, this is not... Mm-hmm. Uh, Happy wappy flower power. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, some people, for some it is. <laughs> there's there's some That's, flower power in yeah, here. There's but, some flower children in here. But it's not it's not that kind of novel. And I'd like you to talk about using the kind of prose you do to explore this kind of. Okay, but pro- and, and and I just want to say that the prose that you're talking about is specific to this book. Mm-hmm. And because part of there there are two hallucinogenic events. One, Easy's you know, physical, internal, biological, hallucinatory feeling of having died and now coming back to life. A spectacular piece of writing, I have to say. Yeah, that's, well, thank you. And that's one thing. And the other thing is the fact that, I mean, I won't go into the whole thing, but one, one of the things that happened to Evander Noon is that he's on an LSD trip. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so Easy actually has to follow this LSD trip <laughs> first to find him and then to find out what kind of trouble he got into that he can't remember when he was tripping. And so in order to do that, in order to to talk about the Sunset Strip, the, the hippie movement in California and, and the rest of the world finally, I had to use a, a kind of a language that, that incorporates that craziness. And, you know, a lot of the things in this book, you know, are like, I mean, I experienced, there are, there are, there are very few things in here that I didn't in some way or another experience. So, Either first or second hand. So this is a, a, a semi-autobiographical book. In a not man. autobiographical. I mean, to say that it's not my life. But, I, you know, you see all these, you know, crazy things. You know, people, uh, you know, uh, eight, seven, a 17-year-old millionaire hippie kid. Um, uh, all of these, like, little commune places, like, you know, off just just a little bit off there in the woods, even in Southern California, uh, how, you know, how some hippies were, were, were criminals and, and, then, and then how hippies even understood themselves and their own philosophy of the world and, and perverted various philosophies, uh, some, sometimes making them more valid and sometimes not. But that, this is a whole world. And then you bring in, you know, the, the really hallucinogenic part of Easy's world, Mama Joe. You I was going to bring her up. You know, voodoo, She's fun. Yeah, the, the the voodoo witch, you know, who 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 brought her like entire life from you know the 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 swamps in southern Louisiana up to uh, uh, Compton, where she has her uh, basically a compound that she lives a life that's almost in another dimension. But it, this seemed necessary. This kind of all near but not exactly magical realism seems necessary to talk about what, what it was like to experience that period of time. You know, it, it, it's a, it was a crazy period of time where people changed, and they changed fast, you know. I mean, so fast. I just remember seeing a guy one day, and he has a, you know, a crew cut, and he's talking about joining the Marines, and the next day he has hair down to his butt, and he's going to hitchhike up the coast and live on a commune somewhere, you know. And it's like, how did you grow your hair that fast, you feel like asking? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you just a crew cut yesterday? As you structured the mystery to this, did you know how much of this mystery did you know going in, and how much did you write out, come out of the prose? You know, I, I wrote a simple outline, one sentence per chapter, and I followed it, but not all that closely. So a lot of things, you know, just came up. Who are the, who are the bad guys? Who, who's the good guy? You know, it turns out, you know, that that 
the real bad guy is is beyond revenge in, in this book, and that a lot of people are are playing different games. They're they're in a, on they're on a different playing field than easy. It's like you know, I'm playing football. He's playing basketball. That guy over there is doing soccer. You know, but somehow or another, we're all like you know, we all have to come together. And 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 that well, it's another way that that people experience the '60s that. You're, that there's like new f- new forms developing, but to answer your question, uh, I knew it pretty well, but not exactly. One of the things about the '60s is they were really informed by Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles was a yeah. an explosion point, along with San Francisco, from which much of our vision of the '60s was drawn. And I'd like you to talk about your your experience of Los Angeles then your experience of Los Angeles now. I know you don't live there, but you did you go back and do research and look at what used to be and what it is now? Well, I knew what it looked like now, and I remembered so well what it was. And, you know, memory is such a, a tricky thing. You know, what you have to do is you have to create a feeling. I sound like a 60s song, right? You have to create a feeling, and that feeling will inform a reality. You know, so I can, I, you know, I have people come up to me and say, hey, you know that street where Easy was? And the guy said, yes. I, I say, yes. And he goes, I was on that street. And I said, well, I made it up. You couldn't have, you couldn't have been on that street. But I, but I made him feel it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think I got the mood of the Sunset Strip, the mood of Watts and Compton, the, the mood of the Pacific Coast Highway and the hippies moving up and down there, the uh, al- alternative cultures that were rising up out of nowhere, and whole businesses, ways of living, uh, ways of having relationships, changing completely. I think that I'm, I, I presented that. Everything I said might not have been exact or true or whatever, but I think I got close to it. You, you alluded to memory, and I think that one of the things that uh, strikes me is that in a book like this, memory and especially the way it mismatches reality, is actually your friend in terms of as a writer. The, the fact that memory does not map onto what happened is really a tool for you as a writer. Well, I think that it's, 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 it's so real about the world we live in. In 1971, I was walking down the street, or 72, I was walking down the street in Boston. I'm just walking, and a policeman was standing in front of me. And I thought he was just standing there. So I turned to my left, and there was another policeman. Well, wow, that's weird. So I turned to my right, and there was another one. I said, uh-oh. You know, and I, like, I just turned my head a little bit, and there, there was the guy behind me, and they said, we are not, in, the guy in front of me says, we're not infringing on your civil rights. We're simply impeding your progress. And they started talking to me about some jewelry store robbery, and the guy, I had a yellow bag and a brown hat. The guy had a yellow bag and a brown hat, and they brought some woman up in a car, and she looked at me. Very luckily, this woman was the wife of a police captain. Her jewelry store got robbed. And so she wasn't frightened, really, you know, because she felt protected in, you know, in and around the police. And she looked at me, and she said, no, that's not him. And, and you know, later on, I thought, wow, you know, that, she could have just as well said, that was me, and I could be in prison now. You know, I mean, my whole life could have taken a whole other journey simply because somebody didn't remember right. 
You know, and that's and that's a lot about the world that we live in. You know, there's there's we see things and we think we know them and we don't know them and we hear something and then we think we remembered being there. You know, it, it's it's a crazy it's it's a crazy world. The the '60s because of you know all of the hallucinogenic drugs brought that to a much higher level. That you know pe- people you don't even know what people were thinking or experiencing around you. You didn't even know what you were thinking or experiencing. You don't even remember what you said or did. You know, but still you're going to be held responsible for something close to that. The story you tell, <laughs> <laughs> and that brings me to this idea of the way you find your stories and tell them. I think that uh, the first person, the choice to use. Uh, Easy Rollins as a first-person narrator is obviously, you know, the biggest critical factor mm-hmm. in the way you've crafted him over the span of these novels. And I'd like you to talk about your experience of being Easy Rollins in these in through for low on twenty years yourself. Well, it's kind of surprising, you know. And it, a few of my books are first-person. First-person narrative is very wonderful. It's very seductive. It's also very very difficult because the person who's talking has to be very interesting. You know, if, if the person's boring after a while, you know, and not even boring, they might be an interesting person, but they're not, they, they're not um, expressive enough. So like Socrates Fortlow has to be third person because, you know, he's just too, everything is deep down inside of him. And, and, and it's, it, it's hard to get him to say something. He wouldn't be talking so easily as, as Easy does or, or Paris Minton does. So it's very very difficult to to write it, but if you, if you find the right character, it's 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 very you know influential on your readers. I'm the thing that the thing that interests me about writing in 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 first person is the the first person character starts saying things that I wouldn't say, because you know, it would they wouldn't be true for me. These things just wouldn't be true for me. I could think of them, but they wouldn't be true. But for easy, these things are true, and the people he talks to say things that. You know, I would never say like Mouse or Jackson Blue. I was just, I was just writing. I'm finishing this new novel about Jackson Blue. Jackson Blue uh, had an affair because you know he's very rich now, and and these you know people from his old life are kind of after him. Had the affair. The woman told the wife. The wife kicked him out, and then for, had a two day affair with a guy. And now she let Jackson back in, and the guy is kind of blackmailing her. And he's telling Easy about this, and Easy says, "But you know she had the affair." He said, "Yeah, man, I I know that." He said, "But." I can't tell her that. And he said, well, why not? Because if I tell her that, she's going to get all crazy and kick me out again. You know? He said, well, that doesn't make any sense. It don't make no sense, man, but it's true. And it is true, right? <laughs> he has to be very careful. So Easy has to solve this problem, not him. Now, these are, these are things that I w- I'm not there. This is not my experience. I don't know it. But when I talk from, from different people's point of view, their experience, you know, starts to come to the fore because I know the characters so well. One of the things that's uh, so much fun about this book is Easy's uh, adopted family, and, and I'd like you to talk about this. You know that the the creation of this, you know, kind of source of sweetness and and kindness and joy and love in a essentially dark work and in a dark genre. Yeah, well, you know, I if if there's no possibility of love and beauty. You lose hope. If you don't have hope, you can never try to do what's right. And certainly, in the in the in the in the genre of the detective novel, doing what's right is is the most important thing. You're trying to 
to, you know, you're trying, you may not succeed, uh, but you have to try to save somebody, you know, in this, in this book, Evander Noon, and really, and Evander is threatened from so many sides, it's just, it, it, it's almost impossible to save him, but you have to try. If you believe that the world is ugly and dark and, 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 and not redeemable, you would give up, either as the main character or you would become a reader not believing in the main character. And so to create these moments of beauty with his son, Jesus, who's just such a wonderful guy, and, and then now his daughter, Feather, who is, you know, who, who loves him so much and who, who takes care of him, you know, in, in much the same way that Jesus had done when he was a kid. That makes you understand what keeps easy going, you know. One of the things that's really fun about the mystery genre is the ability for the detective to access all levels of society. And yeah. in this book, you you leverage that to great effect and to great fun. And I'd like you to talk about, on one hand, you have a plot that moves forward with things that happen. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, you have another a form of plot with people uh, – that he accesses. So there's a different uh, like layers of and kinds of plot. And I'd like you to talk about moving Easy through some actions and also moving him through the layers of society. Well, you know, Easy. You know, there's there's certain kinds of American heroes that are just like you know, in various ways, John Wayne, either in their brain or their muscles or their you know, or their connections or their money, something. And Easy is not like that. Easy, I mean, he's he's a good guy. He can fight pretty well, not as well as everybody, and 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 uh, he couldn't rely on that to survive. Uh, but he but he has friends like Francis Jackson Blue, who starts off as a coward and a con man and a thief, but who who met this guy uh, uh, Jean Paul, and Jean Paul is the uh, who who fought in the the uh, resistance against the Nazis in France, is the uh, the CEO of one of the largest insurance companies in the world, a French company called Proxy Nine. He loves Jackson Blue, and he's and he loved the black GIs when they came to liberate France. He felt more akin to them. So he's come to Southern California. Uh, Jackson's a genius. He can work with these computers. So Jackson all of a sudden opens a door for Easy, and he's happy to because Easy's the kind of guy you know who's going to be there for you. It's all great to have a lot of money and, and people wanting to be there, but it's when you when the chips are down, Easy's the guy you can turn to. On the other hand, you have Mouse, Raymond Alexander, who has gone into business as a bad guy. He belongs to an, a syndicate of criminals that's national and maybe international who do heists. So he never does crimes in Southern California anymore. But every once in a while, he goes away for a week or two, uh, might go to Florida, might go to New York, comes back with a couple of hundred thousand dollars. That's his life. And all of these people open doors for easy, either doors to you know higher places or doors to lower places. And then Easy himself, he's made a couple of friends in the police department. He's actually learned um, how to move in a world where he has more mobility than most white people do in this world. But they can't know that because if they know that, they're going to get him. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting and intricate problem that he has. It creates a great dynamic in the plot and in within the character relations to to have that uh, character who can move in that way become invisible in ways that he ordinarily could not. Yeah, Easy says, they don't see me coming, they don't see me there, and they don't know when I'm gone. You know, that and that was that was black life for a long time. 
it isn't anymore. But there were, there was a time where you could say if if you if you said, well, which one of these guys is the detective? And there's easy, you know, wearing some kind of like janitor's costume, and a, and a, and Saul Link sitting there, you know, w- with a blue suit. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, the, the white guy sitting in the chair. And he said, no, they're both detectives, you know. And it's like what? And it would be impossible. It was at that time that I remember they used to tell a joke. I forget the joke, but it would be like the doctor this, the doctor that. But the assumption was the doctor was a man. And there was a time when, you know, there were no women doctors. There's so few that you would never think of a woman being a doctor. There was a time when when black people never raised above a certain level, at least that you knew of. And Easy, you know, he takes advantage of that. One of the things that's fun to talk to you about all this is when I sit here talking to you about Easy and his friends, you're talking about people you know, as well as you know the person who drove you here, as well as you know your friends and neighbors, and that's really striking to me. Well, you know, if you, if you sit and, and write about the characters, because writing about the characters is is kind of creating a world, you know, and if you love doing that, which I do, I mean, you know, I, writing is to me like the most wonderful thing. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know, like, you know, some people, you find like a, a basketball player who wants to be a rapper, a rapper who wants to be a football player. I'm like, I'm a writer who wants to be a writer. It's like, it's a, a writer who's dreaming about being a writer, which is like, is, is the most, I'm, I'm just so happy about it. You know, I'm happy about being in that place in the world. One of the things of this book that's a lot of fun with the plot is, um, as it opens, Easy gets to experience all the advantages there are of being dead, mm. and that makes that it gives you a lot of uh, leverage with the plot, doesn't it? Well, it 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 gives Easy another point of view, you know, because he consciously has to come back to life. There's a moment there, you know, when a policeman says. Well, you know, here's your file. And he said, well, don't you need this? He said, no, read the last page. The last page says, Easy Rollins is dead. Died in a, in a car accident. So as far as, like, the police are concerned, as far as everybody's concerned, he's dead. You know? He, he, could, he could do something with that. But he, has, but he, you know, in the end decides against it and says, no, I'm, a, I'm not dead. I'm alive. One of the things... You're, you've got an, a new novel coming out, another easy novel, Rollins novel, in the hopper. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to just talk about uh, finding this this wave and surfing it. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun. Well, do you think you and where do we stand with the the cross town to oblivion? I don't know. I I, I have a, actually, let me. You know, I do love writing more than my publishers would like. I think. <laughs> So, yeah, I do have a new Easy Rollins novel that's going to come out after this one, except before that I have another novel coming out from the same publisher called Debbie Doesn't Do It Anymore. So, like, Debbie Doesn't Do It Anymore comes out. Believe me, that's not a mystery. What she doesn't do is not a mystery, and anymore is not a mystery either. Uh, but it was, it was a really fun book to write. Uh, and then the Easy Rollins. But in the meantime, I have also sold an, another science fiction book to Tor called in, in, Inside a Silver Box, which is about, you know, uh, on one level, it's about race relations between a, a black thug and a Columbia co-ed, and, but also this entity which, for all intents and purposes, is God. And it's about the relationship between these three. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of fun. So, you know, so it, it, there's, it, it, there's 
if it was like surfing, it would be kind of like, you know, like 3D surfing or something. You'd be, you'd be on a wave going this way, and all of a sudden you could turn around and go back again, and then you could come, you know, because I, I, so I'm doing a lot of different things, and that's, you know, it's what I love doing, so I love it. Do you think that you'll, we'll see any more uh, film adaptations? And I'd also like you to talk about your plays that you're working on. We have two, one that's running and another one that's about to open. Well, let's see. The film adaptation, Sam Jackson is doing The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray for HBO. Anthony Mackey uh, and my producer and uh, a writer and I are trying to put together a script for The Man in My Basement. I have a television show that that Robert Downey Jr.'s company is very interested in, you know, a letter uh, to a dead man, uh, or a letter from a dead man, and it's a story that I I had in the Atlantic. Uh, And then there's a couple of other. Fishburne wants to do the Socrates Fort Lowe series, and we've been trying to do that, and there's a couple of other things like that. Uh, I've been writing plays. I've written six of them. Uh, Two of them have been produced, a one-act play called White Lilies, in which there are characters from Easy Rollins in it. Not easy, but uh, some of the characters, Mouse, Edame, Lamarck, uh, their son. And uh, another play called The Fall of Heaven, based on on my uh, collection of extremely short stories called The Tempest Tales, about a man who dies when he goes to heaven. uh, St. Peter wants to send him to hell. He refuses, and all of a sudden heaven realizes that free will means you don't have to go if you don't want to. And that, that, that puts the world in a lot of trouble. Also, I'm working w- with a wonderful a- actor and, and uh, a playwright and, and singer, uh, Issa Davis, writing a musical based on Devil in a Blue Dress. So... You're a busy guy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm... But, you know, I, I love doing it. It's like, you know, you, you have life, you know, and, 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 you know, if you have life and you have health, as, as my, uh, many of my relatives would always say, uh, you can... You can just keep going. How do you keep track of all this stuff? Do you work on them all at once, or do you finish one and go to the next? Yeah, you know, you always wonder. I, I, I'm not really sure because I've never been this person, but, like, if you're a woman with 12 children, you know, how do you keep track of all of them? You say, well, you know, you you just have a, a certain sense about it. Things are going on in the world around you, and, and you know when there's too much, you know, quiet over here, or there's too much noise over there, or... When somebody says something that they never say, you know, that, that you pay attention to them. But you can't pay attention to all 12 children all at once. You know, that would be impossible. I've been speaking with Walter Mosley. His news novel is Little Green. Thank you for joining me, Walter. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.